Welcome to Convention Pulpit, Wesleyan Voices, Past and Present. Brought to you through the Ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention, www.ihconvention.com. This sermon was preached back in 1974 by L.B. Hicks, and it's titled, Man's Plight, God's Provision. I know you'll enjoy this wonderful sermon. Will Baptist, the Methodist, and the Church of the Nazarene, preaching in the courthouse in Inez, Kentucky. One morning while we were having the morning services in one of the different churches, this particular morning, the Free Will Baptist Church, the pastor of that church, Brother Sluss, read in our hearing the 90th division of the psalm. And I was sitting there listening just before I was to arise to preach. And I do not remember how many times I have read the Psalms through. I I haven't kept count of them, but many, many times. And when he came to that third verse, it just stood out suddenly to me. And I got a light on it in a flash, like they said Brother Joseph Smith used to get his heavenly telegrams. And I saw it for the first time in 37 years preaching holiness. And after reading multiplied books of theology, studying the original languages, I, 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 I saw it. Thou turnest man to destruction, and such return, ye children of men. Coupled on to that, the Bible said in the third chapter of Galatians and the 22nd verse, the scriptures hath concluded all under sin. Coupled on to that in the third chapter of Romans in the 23rd verse. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Coupled on to that Romans the 6th chapter in the 23rd verse. Where he said the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. Did you know in one sense of the word. That we are born reprobates. Did you know in one sense of the word, and it is true, that men are born sinners? Did you know that everybody is born to go to hell? And the only reason infants don't go to hell is by the mercy of God based on their innocency. Do you know that we are born in depravity? The same thing that makes a little baby whet its heels together, a little rubber blister on them and scream. And quick as you pick it up, it's as quiet as a lamb. Is that carnality? that gets in men and makes them take a gun out of stiletto and either shoot or stab their fellow man or go into the mass murder of war. That's what creates divorce courts. Every graveyard and every courthouse is a monument to the fact that men are born in sin. Every church and every holiness camp meeting is a monument to the fact that men are born sinners. That mute agony in Gethsemane, that groaning on Golgotha, 
testifies that men are born sinners. Dr. Shaw used to say, tried my best to think of the paperback book that he wrote. In that he said, when man fell, he immediately began to work to get back to God, to prove God he could redeem himself. And God gave him the law to convince him of the futility of trying to work his way into heaven. And let him come to the place where, as Paul cried out, Pharisee that I am, keeper of the law to the jot and the tittle, of the main kingly tribe, the tribe of King Saul, the tribe of Benjamin. Oh, wretched man that I am, who can deliver me from this death? And then the revelation of God came, thank God, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Consequently, in the third chapter of Romans, beginning in the 10th verse, it is written, and that's in Psalm 14:1, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. They're all gone out of the way. They're all together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. Their tongues, with their tongues, they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God in their eyes. Verse 20, Therefore by the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. 24 and 25, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. There ends the reading of our lesson. When I was a pastor at Chattanooga, Tennessee, First Church of the Nazarene, my assistant minister, who for years had taught at KMBI and held two college degrees that were earned, came there, Reverend John Andrews, and he is now pastor of that great church, having succeeded me, came there as my assistant. And one day, out on his calling assignment, he bumped into one of these dogmatic modern Calvinists who try to maintain that you can't live separated from sin. And this old man on his deathbed quoted Romans, the third chapter, and the tenth verse down through about the fifteenth. Brother Andrews came back to my study pretty much crestfallen. He said, Brother Hicks, he quoted the scripture to me, there is none good, there is none righteous, there is none that seeketh after God. And since a man had been born and reared in a radical hole in his home, and his uncle that was a general superintendent in the church of the Nazarene, 
and had taken two degrees from Nazarene colleges and had taught under Sister McConnell for eight or nine years at Mount Carmel, I thought if he didn't understand it, the Lord have mercy on most of the laymen. And I concluded I better preach a little bit. And I tried to open the scriptures. Now John Wesley faced this same scripture in his day from those who opposed him, and they said, there's none righteous. You talk about living above sin. And they quoted the Bible to you. And as Uncle Bud Robinson said one night, gentlemen, I heard a little woman stand on a platform and preached that Jesus couldn't come back to the earth for three more years. And gentlemen, she proved it for the Bible. And then jumped up in the altar call and said, get in the altar quick as you can. He may be here before daylight. Well, now let's handle the word of God not deceitfully. And let's do not make merchandise of it. What does this mean? This is not the picture of a born-again person, not a sanctified person. Surely born-again people's feet are not swift to shed blood. Surely born-again people do not have destruction and misery in their way. Surely born-again people do not have throats that are open sepulchers and tongues with the poison sacks of a rattlesnake beneath them? Surely saved people do not curse and swear. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Well, brothers, what's it talking about? It is talking about the human race from the day Mother Eve yielded to the uh, temptation of Satan and dragged Adam down. And from that day till this morning, there has never been a person born of Adam's race that has done righteous, that has done good, or that ever sought God. Now, Dwight L. Moody made this famous statement. In the cool of the day, in the third chapter of Genesis, God sought Adam. Now, Mr. Moody said, man, Adam ought to have sought God, but he didn't. I want to say to you this morning that no man has ever been saved that sought God first. The Holy Ghost sought him. A Calvinist of Princeton University wrote quite a tome of theological truth, and I was reading it. And he said, I'll ask one question, and you'll either be a Calvinist or an Armenian, how you answer that question. And he said... Who sought first, man or God? Well, I know God sought first. And I saw the trap he is setting for me. And he said, now you're a Calvinist because you said God sought first. I deny it. For this is the true light that cometh into the world that lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Amen. Now, have you lost me? I don't feel you're much going along with me. This is not whooping territory yet, but it'll get there by and by. And no foundation, no house is better than its foundation. And if you build on chaff, the first storm will wash the chaff away. But if you get down to nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness, and Peter on this rock I'm going to build my church, then it'll stand the attacks of the devil and the cannonadings of hell. 
glory be to God forever. Now there are three things about this message. Man's plight, God's provision, and God's product. Keep those little peas in your mind. They're pegs driven in your memory to hang thoughts on. Oh, you call it in school, don't you? A mnemonic or some big word like that. Something to help you remember. Man's plight without God from Adam till today, what is it? There is none righteous, no, not one. That does away with that damnable doctrine that children are born neutral. Rear them the right way and they'll go the right way. That does away with that God-dishonoring doctrine that men can merit their salvation by what they give and what they do. But it's all by the gift of grace through our Lord Jesus Christ. None that doeth righteous, no, not one. Trot him out. Not a one of them has done right. Before I was seven years of age, I broke two commandments. I knew it was wrong to say ugly words, but I said one. And my little cousin said, Lawrence said an ugly word, we're going to tell on him. And they did. And they got after me about it. And to cover up the first law I broke, I broke the other law and said I didn't know it was wrong. Everybody sins. And the scriptures closed us all in under sin. Second thing, there is none that understandeth. No man understands the, the Bible until the Holy Ghost comes to him. You don't learn God. This is the third time I've said it by research in God's Bible school or a seminary or a university. What you know of God is revealed out of the Bible. Voltaire could quote the Bible. And yet he could find a thousand contradictions, said he, in it. And his strictures against King Solomon and David were terrible. Tom Paine could stand and quote the Bible and deny there was anything in it. I've been in the room where Bob Ingersoll wrote his famous lectures in the Lost Forty of Marion, uh, Illinois. I remember very well standing there where Mr. Mr. Ingersoll said in 50 years there'll not be a Bible. And he got up and hooted at it and pointed out contradictions in it. But it was the fact that a brilliant mind was trying to understand something that had not been revealed. There is none that understands. Tell a man he can do something to get to God and he'll work his fingers off. Tell him to quit and let go and let God and he'll look at you like an old cow looking at a last year's calf. He's got to pray so much. Amen. He's got to give so much money. Simon Stalites sat on a post about like that, about as big as that one, and sat there for 28 years. And Tennyson has made it very famous in one of his famous poems. And he did that saying, I'm going to sit here till my flesh falls off my bones. He pulled up a meager diet in a bucket on a rope. He sat there in the cold and shivered and blistered in the heat, trying to win peace of conscience. Alfred Lloyd Tennyson brought it out so beautifully in the end that St. Simon finally confessed his sin and said, all of this is worthless. And he cast himself on the mercy of God. God. The flagellates of South America will on a certain day drive to a dra dra drag to a Catholic church a heavy cross tied around their necks 
while with a long leathern whip with with steel in it, they swish their backs, the flagellate saints. And the blood runs down and they stagger and faint and get up again and go on and come back the same kind of a sinner. They went up that hill. There are people that will trust in water baptism and come out as dead a sinner. They went in dry and came out wet. There are people will wear certain kind of uniforms and be just as mean inside before they wore the uniform. The Trappist fathers will go aside and take a vow to silence and spend their days in a monastery trying to find God but not speaking to anybody. Come out still lost and black and dying. One of the most tragic things I have ever seen, I believe, was speaking in a holiness convention not far from right here. And an old lady with a black dress down like my grandmama used to wear, you could see a little shoe sticking out from under it. The collar was up to here, the sleeves were down to there. Her hair was white, her face was so drawn. She had lingered at holiness camp meeting after holiness camp meeting. And they said, will you talk to her? She has down across the years tried to merit sanctification by how dead she could be to the world. And there's no confidence and no peace. I'm not striking at you. No, no, no. I believe with all my heart in the old-fashioned way. But I am saying there's none that understands how to get to God until he tells them. How to get there. The next part of that 10th verse, there is none that seeketh after God. Nobody will seek God. You may get him to an altar, but he won't seek God till the Holy Ghost stirs him up. He goes on to say, uh, they are all together gone out of the way. They've just turned every man to his own way, Isaiah said. And God had to lay on one man, Jesus, the God-man, the iniquity of us all. Oh, I could just go on and on and on, but I'm wasting a little too much time, but I believe I'm preaching the truth. The tongues of deceit. It's as natural for men to lie almost as it is for them to breathe. One of the strangest passages in the New Testament is where the Lord said to the sanctified church, Brethren, lie not one to another. If God has to warn the sanctified against deceit and politics and tongue in the cheek and implications, what about the old lost world? Let's don't criticize Watergate too much till we have a little sweeping out and we holiness churches. I said to a very strong district superintendent in our church, one of our large districts, Doctor, I was preaching in his camp meeting. What did the Lord mean by writing to the sanctified brethren? Brethren, sin not. He said, cause the lives all I know. He said, when you've been district superintendent as long as I have, you won't ask that question. <laughs> I asked Dr. G.B. Williamson, Doctor, why is that in the Bible? He said, it's not. I said, you turn and read it. He said, well, it is, isn't it? Under their tongue is the poison of asps. You know you can ruin a man by just how you look. 
out a little doubt here and a doubt there. But you can't help it without God. This is a picture that you can't help without God. You know, the first church split that ever came, Jesus split it himself. Sixth chapter of John. He was bearing down on those Jews. No man can come unto me except the Father which has sent me drawing. Oh, they said we're Abraham's children. We're doing right. God's got to accept us. And he bore down on it again. And from that time, the King James says, but you will notice the time is in italics. The Greek word hora for hour is not there. Kronos for time is not there, but from that, what does the relative pronoun that refer to? From the fact that no man can come except the Father drawing. They said, if that's it, take your religion, and they went back to Judaism and to hell. If I can't work my way in, get out of that pulpit and quit disturbing me. I'll work till Jesus comes to make him say, you've got to turn me in. Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? In thy name cast out devils? In thy name done many wonderful works? Depart from me, you rebellious outfit. The word iniquity there is the Greek word anomia, lawless, anarchy. I told you to come the straight and narrow way by faith in me and surrender your meanness. You thought you could bypass it with works. You thought you could do this or that. And from that, many went back and followed him no more. And he said, will you fellows go too? Boy, that put the mind in that. And Peter just blurted out, where in the world would we go to? You're the only one that's got the words of eternal life. Salvation by grace. Through faith being justified by faith, we have peace. Yes. My, we are raising a shout now. Hallelujah. Look at him. Oh, he just goes on down, talks about poison of asps and mouthful of cursing and bitterness. My, those are wicked things. Feet, chest, whiff to shed blood and all those things. That's the plight of man. That's your plight, my friend, if you're not saved. If you're not sanctified. If you don't know If you don't know, if you don't know, can I know? The Bible said in the 8th chapter of Romans, His Spirit beareth witness with my spirit that I am a child of God. Hallelujah. Do you know it? Well, that might be an old wicked spirit telling me that, Brother Hicks. Indeed, it might. But the good book said, test the spirits. If he has spoken a personal word to you, a pure life will match it next week. Three ways you can know a personal witness, a pure walk, and a persevering waiting for him to come. He that continues steadfast to the end. Perseverance is part of it. Get people saved and sanctified, they may backslide, sure. But you've put an awful remote possibility there if they pay the death price that some of us paid. I don't want to go through that again. And there's nothing back there to go to. 
I thought I'd crossed the deadline. I was convinced, doctor, that I had crossed the deadline and that God would never hear another prayer from me. I was damned and doomed waiting to fall into hell. And I suspect about 90 of the people that are saved and sanctified have gone through that. It finally takes that kind of a hell scare to really shake you up. I got to that place, and I sighed, and God dried all the tears up. Because one time in reading, in my reading and studying, I'd gotten to the place that I thought was only a weakling would shed tears, and a man could take anything and not cry. And he dried the fountain up. And finally he broke me down. And I got to where I couldn't cry and couldn't pray and was convinced by that arch lawyer, the devil, that I'd send away my day of grace until finally, finally, when I came to the end of Lawrence Hicks and said to my precious little Presbyterian wife, honey, I'm going to walk out behind Uncle Jim's barn tonight. And about 7 o'clock, I stumbled down into that old dry gully, nothing to plead, lost on my road to hell. God's back forever turned on me. No angel songs to ever bless my deluded ears. No longer hot tears to wash my dirty face. Not a willful, open, broken, adulterer, and drunkard, and I was always a southern gentleman. But oh, lost. 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 And I got on my knees in that old dry gully on a hard limestone rock, another little bench of a rock. I made that the top of the altar rail. I just got down on my knees and said, Jesus, if I could, I'd walk to the door of hell and never obey the devil anymore. I'll yield. I don't know what I'm going to do. I can't live like this. And as suddenly as the forked lightning while a big red Tennessee cardinal yeah. rode the topmost twig in an elm tree and sang a requiem to dying day, while God swung the crimson-tinged and gold throne hangings across the west, the great high priest after the order of Melchizedek walked down from a golden altar, walked down of a jewel stairway, And absolve my sins. And if a Catholic priest had said "Ablute es," it would not have been more plain. And I rose from my poor old knees. Just because he cracked the door open a little. Oh, the grace, how great a debtor. I am daily constrained to be. He said... Go to destruction. But in Jesus, he said, return, sons of men. Now he said, by keeping the law, in verse 20, there are the deeds of the law, nobody will ever be saved. 
You can throw your quid away and throw your pipe and your cigarettes away and throw your hypodermic needles away and give every bit of money you've given into charity and let them burn your body at the stake and testify loudly and shout and run and jump and dress like a nun or a monk and fall 40 fathoms into hell for by the deeds of the law no man can be saved. Well, what good's a having a law? Well, a child swallowed a pen. They didn't even know whether that safety pen was open or closed. They weren't sure where it was, but they took it to the hospital. And the radiologist took it down in a dark room and calmed it and talked to it. Stretched it out on that table and swung that big instrument over it. And got it quiet and stepped back in a room that was shielded in lead and pressed a button and there was a little chatter. He walked out and said, that's enough, dear. Take it back up to room, nurse. He hung that up on a little fluoroscope and looked at it and I said, doctor, there's that pen. You see where it's located? Just above the diagonal valve. You see it's not open, it's not too dangerous. It'll probably pass, but if not, we can take it out. Now that's what the law does. Shows you where the safety pin is in your heart. Shows you the malignancy. I had a little woman that came to me. Oh, she was, she was sure that she was eating up with cancer. Now, I'm going to die, and God won't heal me, and my house is set in order. Now, I'm full of cancer. And the doctors had said no, and they sent her to me to, me to try to convince her no. And finally, nothing to do her but exploratory surgery. And they said, well, maybe we have missed it. And they cut her open and found no cancer. And she became convinced and got well and lived. <laughs> now, you've got the devil in you without God. You're full of carnality. And the carnal mind is the mind that is not subject to the law of God. In the first chapter of Romans, in the 28th verse, the, the Greek is a most interesting study there. The word dokomos, a dokomos, means worthless. It's the word for reprobate. It comes from the word meaning worth something, and it's the word not worth anything. It was used of reprobate silver that not had too much dross in it, and they threw it away, and it was fit only to make a road out of, nothing else. It's spoken of a spiritual state, and it was spoken of money that had gotten too thin to weigh enough in those days to be valuable. So it's come the term of a worthless mind, a reprobate mind. And in the beginning, when God revealed his will to them, Miss Eve, bless her heart, said, that's not right. The devil knows more, and we'll just leave what God's out. It's worthless. We can't live with that heavenly language down here in Eden. Now, we'll take Satan's way. They docomized, or they made the knowledge of God worthless. He said, all right, I'll just turn you over to a worthless mind. Go on and get your degrees. Ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. You've got a reprobate mind that rebels against God. But glory be to God. Aren't you glad God didn't leave us that way? 
I do not a bit more believe that redemption was an afterthought with God than I believe I'm going to go through the ceiling and walk around the moon and come back. Why, when Eve sinned and Eden and Adam yielded, God didn't have to call a council and get the Son and the Holy Ghost there and say, what are we going to do? They've blocked our work. Oh, what? No, no. God knew that was going to happen 20 billion years before he ever planted the first tree in Eden or ever made man a woman. He knew it was going to be, or he's not all wise. And when he knew it was going to be, he made a parachute called grace. To break that fall till a man wouldn't drop into hell. And in the fullness of time, when he was ready on his schedule, at that time, in that time only, he sent his son born of a woman. And he came into this world to see P.O. Carpenter and Lawrence Hicks and Palmer and Flexen and Dietz and old Doug Slack with his guitar and Dr. Taylor with his British accent and brilliant mind. He came to see that little mean thing down there in the alley selling her body for a price, a harlot. He just came for God so loved. Woo! So loved. Well, he could have dropped Adam and Eve in hell and blasted the world off and pulled Mars a little bit out of its orbit and set it down here and started a new world with a new race. But he didn't do it that way. Said, I'm going to prove to the devil that I can walk right down into his territory and face him in the wilderness in my own son and put my foot on the nape of his neck and make men want to come to me by grace. But he had a lot of wetting to do on us. He had to send Sinai with its thunder and lightning until they said, don't let us see it anymore. And he had to send Moses with a shining face. They had to hang a rag over it before he could talk to them. And he had to hold the veil back through the long years of backsliding in Israel to let men know you can't get to God except through love and grace. Glory, glory, glory. And when it caught up with Paul, he said, here I am. That old dead corpse that I murdered, that old man, his his left hand chained to my right, his right hand chained to my left, his left foot chained to my right, his right foot chained to my left. Our bodies chained together and our necks chained together. And he's so smelly. The blood is gone and the, and the flesh is falling in rottening shreds and the stench and the green flies. And I'm pushing him around to go out in the wilderness to die retching and vomiting with the spores from this dead thing infecting my body. I've tried to get it away by the law, and I've tried to get it away by fasting, and I've tried to get it away by praying, and yeah. tried to get it away by giving my body to be burned. Yeah. Oh, I'm so wretched, I'm about ready to fall into hell. I've tried to get these old chains off, and I can't get them off. This old liquor, and this old marijuana, and, and this old hessian snow, and this adultery. <laughs> And he got that heavenly telegram. The pedagogus, the schoolmaster, led him to Christ. He said, glory to God through Jesus Christ. 
The chains rattled off. He said, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Oh, I felt my chains fall off. I walked in a beautiful glowing portal called No Condemnation. I've been walking 38 years down marble corridors that resound with the footfalls of grace. I'm almost back in the back chamber now and over that room said no separation. I'm nearly in. A few more days and I have gone to meet the deeds that I have done where there will be no setting sun. My heavenly home is bright and fair, and I feel like traveling on. Methinks I can hear floating across the great divide the sweetest songs of Moses and the Lamb. I've got a mother up there that I used to stand. She died when I was seven weeks of age and look up in a beautiful picture and say, I ain't got no mama. I wish when I stubbed my toe and it hurt, you'd come down and tie it up with a rag like Aunt Cena does Paul and Henry and Jesse and Jetty. But you don't come. I love you. (laughs) She's lying out in the old patent cemetery. 61 years, the last part of this February, she's lain there. The bright canopy of snow is spread over her for 61 long winters. The beechen buds have swollen into Maytime and the blue violets have crept across her grave. The bramble and the briar has grown there. And Daddy was so poor that all he could buy was her little piece of stone with a little angel on top of it and carved in it are the words Francis Venable Hicks with a birth date and a death date. But one time she went to a mourner's bench held in a schoolhouse by old Dr. Hiram Laws but I don't want to say angels when you report the service back to headquarters and get through shouting with Jesus over it long enough, look up my mother and tell her, I'm coming. I've kept the trough. The Holy Ghost has been good and never failed me. He can strike off your chains this morning. He can set the captive free. There's a big rainbow We just see half of it down here, but every rainbow, they tell us, is a perfect circle. The other end of it's in heaven. I want to see the other end of the rainbow. Where that glorious river called the river of life comes cascading from the throne of God, running down between the green braes of paradise to lose itself in the impetuous embrace of a glassy sea, too still for storm or rain, too clear to be ever dirtied 
Why the multitude gather on its banks to sing and shout of sweet deliverance. The rainbow will be fused. And I'll be there. So on that happy golden shore, where the faithful part no more, and the tree of life is blooming, meet me there. Won't you come and go along with me to a home that's beautiful and radiant? I'm nearly there. Would you stand up and nobody leave the sanctuary? Oh, God. I tried to do what you told me to do. Hungry hearts are here. I want to know who will come to this altar right now. Forget everything. If you need anything from God, saving or sanctifying or restoration, will you come down one of these aisles right now and get on your knees? I can wait. You don't have to come under my preaching, but if you've got a need, it's a good time to get it. I don't think we're going to sing. If you've struggled in works, get into the faith channel this morning. If you've had the old law binding you down, shake it loose this morning. You talk about leaving a disciplined life and a clean life. You'll live it all right. Come along. The invitation's out this morning. Doug Slack, pick up that instrument. Somehow or another, the Holy Ghost keeps saying, just ask old Doug to pick that thing. Whatever the Holy Ghost asks him to sing, you just come in and sing it. He wouldn't have told me that if you didn't have something bubbling up. The chimes ring out the news Another day is Okay. 
came at his promise. Amen. Don't run away and hide. It is no secret what God can do, what he's done for others. He'll do for you. Thank you for listening to Convention Pulpit, a ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention, featuring Wesleyan voices past and present. For more sermons or for more information, visit www.ihconvention.com. This ministry is made possible through the financial support of our listeners. Keep passing it on, keep passing it on, keep passing it on.